Welcome to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Careview. Every week, a guest and I will be discussing an album that we both fucking love. We're going to find out how the record or band entered our lives. We're going to do some track-by-track observations and, of course, any other thoughts that come our way. Warning, these are conversations held by adults, and sometimes bad words will appear unedited. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Not quite today or tonight, we will be looking at Blackberry Bell, the second full-length album by the Twilight Singers. It was released by One Little Indian Records on October 14, 2003, and is a tribute to director Ted Demi, a close friend of Greg Dooley's who died of a heart attack in January of 2002. Dooley had been working on another project called Amber Headlights, which would eventually see release, but abandoned those sessions due to Demi's death. On the other mic is the Big Boss Groove, the Big Shadow, the Good Cop to My Bad Cop. <laughs> Everybody loves Carl Webb. Carl, how you doing, my brother? I'm very good, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm really excited to talk about this record. Yeah, I agree, man. You know, both of us love it so much, and I definitely want to talk about it and put a little bit of spin on it. But what sounds like an even better podcast is uh, you and I talking about the Good Cop, Bad Cop, drinking session that we had (laughs) so many years ago that would be pretty good (laughs) that would be pretty good that was a lot of fun so i've uh maybe the first time in 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 the history of the world that somebody with a with a septum piercing and another dude with dreadlocks being accused of being cops so uh, (laughs) that was like some kind of bizarre world (laughs) what are you two guys cops what are you looking at what who us Crazy, crazy, crazy day drinking day in downtown St. Petersburg. Yes, man, very good days. <laughs> All right, let's stay on. Let's stay on topic here just a bit. So, uh, Carl, right. tell me, how did this album enter your life? Wow, um, it originally entered my life just through uh, becoming a fan of the Afghan Wigs. You know, um, I guess maybe right around the time you and I first met back in '93, I would say. Or uh, maybe a little later, I had gotten into Afghan wigs and and was listening to them, but it wasn't really that. It didn't grab me as much as it did with like later albums like uh, Gentleman, Black Love, that type of thing. Of course, the the one that really uh, sucker punched me and was like led me into this uh, into this record was 1965. Um, that was just brilliant, and I kind of think of those that record and this record in uh, in the same way and that's just probably in my mind because they just grabbed me so much because man I you know as you and I have talked before I listened to this record for like six weeks straight it was like <laughs> on the uh, <laughs> I took it into work I'd play it at work I'd drive home with it I'd put it on the stereo and, and you know at home I'd like get drunk to it go to sleep to it wake up to it I did that for like weeks at a time so yeah Blackberry Bell's got a special place in my heart. Yeah, yeah, same here. For me, I have a, a pretty similar story. Um, so I got into the Afghan wigs a bit late. I remember getting hysterectomy, which was this free mm. sampler that they had put out and right. giving it away at, at Vinyl Fever. Right, And yeah. so I, I, had, uh, I had taken one home, and it was one for, I want to say, almost two years. I would pull that one out. I would listen to it. It wouldn't quite. It wasn't good enough that I wanted to listen to it again, and it wasn't bad enough that I wanted to get rid of it. There was something right. <laughs> that just it just sort of hung in there for a long time, uh-huh. and then finally I had started working a new job, and I could just listen to music all day long. Uh, and so I started going through this thing where because I had a bunch of leftover stuff from when I was in college radio, and I finally had a burner. So if I was holding on to something for one song, I could now take that one song and get rid of the CD. And so I was really going through a whole kind of just trying to get through my entire collection to see what was worth keeping. And then for some reason, I don't know what it was, that hysterectomy that finally clicked. And it went from, yeah, this is okay, to this is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my entire (laughs) life. (laughs) So true, though. So true. And so I went in and, of course, I went straight to Vinyl Fever and saw you and said, anything used comes in from the Afghan wigs, put it aside for me and I'll pick it up. And 
and you're like, mm. oh, you're getting into the you're getting into the wigs right now. I said, yeah. You go, hold on a second. You go in the back room and you came out and brought me the first Twilight Singers record. Ah, uh, I just got my burner and I made that one. Is that the one? Ex- yes, yes. Yeah. And yeah. so you handed that to me, and you're like, "Go take this while you while we wait." And he goes, "You know, you said I'll I'll hold any 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 wig stuff that comes by. In the meantime, listen to this." And I think I picked up something that had been you, and I don't remember if I think "Gentleman" was the first thing I, I eventually was able to get. And so mm-hmm. I went home, and that Twilight Singers record was exactly the record I needed at that moment. At the and time, listen to the shit out of that record. <laughs> like I had to, I had to hide it from myself. I would give it to my girlfriend and tell her to put it somewhere where I couldn't find it because I was afraid <laughs> so I was going to destroy it. it for me. <laughs> oh my god! I just yeah. listened to it, but then I don't know if you remember this. They just kind of disappeared. Like they yeah. were suddenly no longer on Columbia. There was no website. There was no word of what was going on and it was like greg greg dooley may have even temporarily retired from music it was just it was just nothing 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 and so we thought ah you know and of course uh for those who don't know the whole history the uh, afghan wigs um this before they had broken up so i'm sorry the twilight singers was meant just as a side project something to do in between uh, two albums, but then they were kind of pressured to put out, I think it ended up being 1965 and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, what was originally supposed to be just kind of a side project after the wigs broke up ended up becoming um, Dooley's full-time project. Yeah. And so I think in my mind, this album, Blackberry Bell, is the real beginning of the Twilight Singers as a band. Right. No, So true, man. We saw them on this tour too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It was, and that was the opening. That was the opening date on that tour. And what I loved about this, because I remember, I don't remember. I remember. I don't remember. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't. Remember. I had some. I, I had gotten word that that this this album was coming out, and I was at work, and I couldn't call you at the time for some reason. Something was going on, and so I wrote down in a notebook, "Call Carl, New Twilight." And I get home and my phone rings and it's you telling me, dude, there's a new Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> and I like I was picking up the phone to call you when the phone rings and it is you. Right. And right. and so you get this like immediately. And it took a while for me to figure this album out because I liked it, but it didn't get its hooks into me until we saw them live. Oh, and so we really? saw them. Yeah, because I liked it. I mean, I liked it fine, but it wasn't mm. anything like the first Twilight Singers record. And it wasn't right. quite like the Afghan wigs. And it was really its own thing. And I, I liked it, but I didn't know what to do with it initially. And then I recently looked, we had that website, um, Legion Studios, and I would review music. And I saw, uh, I had, this is my ninth favorite record of the year in 2003. Mm-hmm. And now I consider this to be my favorite record of all time. Right. So, exactly. It's like going from ninth of 2003 to like, yeah, what is there anything else? So we go see them live at the social in Orlando and mm. we it just blown away. I've never been to a show where every two songs I'm looking at, looking at something like going, fuck yes, or holy shit. Oh my God. It was so good. We got no encore because <laughs> they thought the crowd wasn't into it. Because it turns out, I found out years later, there was an uh, there was a, a guitar left plugged in, and they didn't realize it, and it was feeding back into where they were, so they couldn't hear us going crazy. Right, just chanting our asses off. And I thought that was the coolest thing that they didn't come out. It's like you got it all, you got it all, bitches. Sorry, we're not yeah, doing an it, encore to like you know like every other rock star that walks out here, you know? But I learned my lesson from that because you, you had to earn it. They didn't just, because there were times they would not give an encore. So, right. uh, and the drum, the drummer's mother was in the audience. Oh, <laughs> you're kidding me. No, because the drummer at the time was from Miami and his mom came up for the show. And then, so, oh, I remember uh, I that. Remember yeah, Bobby, with uh, what was his name? Bobby McIntyre? Yeah, there you go. All right, right. Yeah, I remember he was from Miami. Yeah, so, uh, and then I ended up seeing them, uh, I've seen them a bunch of times over here in Europe, but I, I can't remember right. if I saw them again on that tour, they were, but it was so good, it was so good, like, Greg Dooley did not speak to the crowd for, like, what, the first four songs, they just came yeah. out and blasted, he came out and said, they they opened the show with Strange Fruit? Yes, he came out and said uh, something to the effect of, this is a song that Billy Holiday could never play here. Yeah. And boom. And it was like, I was fucking floored. 
and then just four straight songs before he even acknowledged that there was an audience. Said, "Hey, how you guys doing?" And then blasted through like another four songs. It was fucking brilliant. It was so good. And then after that, I did the same. Like I listened to this album constantly for about a year. I mean, mm-hmm. just like no lie, every day for at least a year. And it's probably still my most listened to record of the last 15, right. 20 years, just yeah, without agreed. a doubt. Agree. Okay, so we're going to wander over here to the track-by-track analysis, uh, talking about the different types of openers. So we have the call to action, the teaser, the setup, and the blueprint. Now, the opening track here is called Martin Eden, named after a uh, Jack London short story, I believe. And for me, this is a a bit of a a setup opener. Uh, It starts with this sad piano, and it has one of the most awesome opening lines of any album, black out the windows it's party, it's party time, time. Yes. and that's so it's so conflicting because it's not like close the windows because it's sexy time or not like you know close the shades so we don't disturb people it's black out the windows it's party time and then you mentioned you know you're gonna all, we're all play suicide so mm-hmm. right from the beginning um it sets it apart from the previous album we're not getting the same thing that we got from you know as sung by the twilight singers Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also not exactly the Afghan Whigs either. So this is really where, as I said at the beginning, the they became their own band, I think. With that line, you're right. I, you're 100%. And it's much closer to being an Afghan Whigs record than it is to being uh, that first Twilight record for sure. Uh, but it's still its own thing. And it's such a great song. It's such a great song. And it's, it's somehow it's sad and mournful while also in its beautiful and it's dark and it's heavy, uh, but it's also got those moments of light and it just because it'll it'll crescendo. And this is where my lack of like legitimate how to make music knowledge is going to come through a few times. I'm going to just make up words if I have to. But, <laughs> you know, I have these big splashes with this with the symbols. So even though it is a pretty a pretty slow opener, uh, it really does have those these moments of drama behind it. And I think that's one of the things that sets the Twilight Singers apart from the Afghan Whigs is I think he, Greg Dooley did a, a lot more with building the yeah. songs because it wasn't just like a four-piece band. It was whatever he wanted it to be. Um, mm. And so I think that you see just a lot more of like these little details in the songs uh, that you see now in the more current Afghan Whigs records. But yeah, what do you think about this one? No, I think you're, you you hit it right on, man. And like uh, that... Uh description of Martin Eden that kind of like describes the entire record. We're done. This is the end of the podcast right now, baby. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think that uh, this record, the the latter Afghan weeks to me, uh, as uh, we've spoken before, it was really soul influence, kind of like done through their whole kind of punk rock aesthetic. You know, there was a, there was a lot of you know, just to throw out some names, but it was a lot of Marvin Gaye and Donny Hathaway and, and all of those great singers, and, you know, some Prince in there and sometimes, you know, it was, it was very kind of a, a soul or a, or a aspect to it of that and then stuff. With this album, with Blackberry Bell, it just reminds me, I don't know, we'll get back to it more, um, of like, listen to like the greatest hits on classic rock from the 70s. To me, it, it just really is like, you know, there's like some some over the top stuff in there. There's some very just uh, anthemic parts, even on just songs, you know, maybe the song is an anthemic. But there was like just like you said, like I'm building in a way and, and it was so layered that it, it reminded me of like all of these great things without sounding like any of them. Yeah, I can't think of any band that sounds like the Afghan Wigs or that sounds like the Twilight Singers. And I'm sure there right. are, but I just. They just, yeah. they have this little niche for me that just, uh, so, so good. It's kind of like drinking, like, you know, the IPA that kind of tastes like the best IPA that you ever had. You really need to hear it. I don't know. You yeah. Need to, you need to drink that? <laughs> yeah, I don't need to drink that shit. But I'm with you, man. I'm with you. All right. So we're going to go ahead and move on to track two, Esta Noche. Esta and noche. Carl, what do you got for me? Yeah. Estanoche, you know, just uh, taking off of what I was just saying, Estanoche like reminds me of like a great ELO song from uh, the 70s, you know, you can't stop that feeling kind of mixed in with like Telephone Man, 
it's kind of like a I don't know what it was based on maybe the excesses of a touring or what it was but uh, Esta Noche is just a, a a brilliant piece of like come on a little lately you know get your shine on I mean that that opening those two opening lines to me is just reminds me of like uh, you know every uh, every uh, pickup line that I ever use with any chick that I've ever been with <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Come on, baby, to get your shine off. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> Esta Noche is just, just beautiful. And yeah. uh, there's like also like, uh, I think this is another one as well, which kind of gives me a kind of an almost Pink Floyd vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's the telephone between the two. Oh, definitely. Is that, yeah. Is that what I'm thinking? You know, it's, uh, you know, I don't know what it was, but that like uh, just kind of drew me in. And then, uh, you know, lyrically, it's just brilliant. And I, I love that Euro ring at the beginning because it, uh, it actually transitions. So the end of Martin Eaton has that, you know, Euro telephone ring. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's like the three times. And then the fourth time is actually the beginning of this track. And then once that last ring hits, then just the most awesome fucking lick or riff or whatever you call it just the guitar right. part just soars and it's goddamn brilliant it's almost like a bell that note that starts yeah. to off on that yeah the riff i got you yeah it is so good and and then you can hear that the phone um the phone ring throughout the track it so it's not constant but it'll pop back up and that's like these little details that you're so this is one of those albums you're really rewarded listening to it through headphones because yes. there's just things you'll pick up that you may not necessarily catch uh, just listening to it on the even in the car uh, even though this right. is a great car <laughs> this is a great car <laughs> CD uh, but yeah so it's got it just it, it that has that little uh, it repeats throughout and it's got other things and just this awesome guitar part and this uh, <laughs> this song was my um, my ringtone for a long time <laughs> oh really <laughs> Because, of course, it starts off with that Euro ring. So people are like, oh, Euro ring. And then all of a sudden, this guitar is blasting. They're like, oh, that's pretty fucking cool. You know? <laughs> I would take credit for that if somebody did that. I was like, yeah. I, did that. <laughs> I was on tour in Paris, and I thought I'd record this, this song. Sure. Yeah. Why not? So, and, and this, I feel like this is just Greg Dooley at his full powers right here. Because, yeah. you know, towards the, uh, towards the end, like uh, this horn section kicks in. Mm-hmm. and just blast it away and so you have the horns going and you have this great guitar part and you have that the euro ring going all on top of these really fantastic lyrics and uh i love because towards the end of it uh he keeps repeating the line never lasting love and yeah. i saw them perform this live and i can't remember which time but he ended up then transitioning to that song everlasting love oh so wow. he's yeah, so he sings this, and then the instruments kind of stop, and he sings the that part a cappella, and then I think he may have even walked out into the audience that one time. I don't remember. I've seen him so many times; it all kind of blurs. But it was fucking brilliant. So it just because it, it just, but he kept it in the same rhythm as that song, and he goes into that, and then people catch on what's going on, and then some people are singing along who knew that song, and oh, it was so good. It, <laughs> it's just it, what so do you good. Say? That sounds so fucking awesome, man. I got to look for the boot on that or something on YouTube, maybe. And when you say Everlasting Love, you mean the uh, the U2 song that they covered from the soul singer, what was his name, Carl Carl Carlson or something like that? Yeah, Carl Carlson, I think, is the name. Right. Yeah. Okay, all right, yeah. Now, yeah, that sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, it was so good. And uh, and this, I think, is the first time it pro- the, the word crawl pop props up and it pops mm. up because and it and it comes out throughout this album i think about four or five of the tracks have the word crawl on them right <laughs> which i don't know what that means but i think it's interesting and you can see that happen sometimes with uh with dually projects they, he gets a word or a phrase in his head and it and you, sometimes it'll repeat throughout the record and i don't even know if it's necessarily on purpose uh or if it's just one of those things that kind of happens in the songwriting process yeah maybe it maybe it kind of uh because we found out later on with uh, Amber Headlights that there were some elements of that that did kind of make it in here. Maybe lines. And then there was some stuff that went into, um, what was it, Powder Burns after this? 
maybe. I know he ended up releasing uh, Amber Headlights, which didn't do a whole lot for me. There's a couple of tracks on there that are good, and there's at least two of the tracks that were reconstituted, or I think it's like two two tracks from that are two different tracks on this one with different names and different right. edges and stuff. But hmm. I don't remember exactly because I'd say for whatever reason, Amber Headlights never grabbed me, and I, I thought about listening to it before this, and I just didn't get around to it. Right, gotcha, gotcha. I've got it on my phone, so I haven't, uh, and I like, you know, I'll stumble on something from that all the time, you know, when I'm doing the random thing on the phone, something will <laughs> pop up on there. And that then goes on to track three, Teenage Wristband, and this one starts with a, like a real happy piano, and it's, it's uh, nice how this album has this great real flow to it, and this song is a celebration. It is just, uh, in a in a just world, this is a song you would have been hearing blaring out of car stereos everywhere in the summer of 2004. <laughs> right. you know, this, this is the one, this should have been, this should have been the summer jam. Uh, the world doesn't work that way, unfortunately, but this is such a good song. And it's, uh, the, the thing that's funny, because I, again, I've seen, I've seen the Afghan wigs and I've seen the Twilight Singers and I've seen the Gutter Twins play mm-hmm. at least a dozen times and six different countries here in Europe. And uh, every time this song comes on, this gets the biggest reaction of the crowd from the Twilight Singers material. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it reminds me a little bit of, in a weird way, seeing Metallica early in early days. So I saw them um, just before they released uh, And Justice for All. So at this point, you know, they have no singles, they have no radio play, they have no videos. And yet there was... You know, a small handful of tracks that, I mean, of course, people love their material, but uh, it, it's never evenly distributed. You know, there's always those, right. those handful of tracks that just for whatever, like everybody gloms onto and, and not because of repetition through radio or not because that's what they recognize. Mm-hmm. So you have people who are listening to the whole record. And for whatever reason, this these are the tracks that people just yeah that's my jam you know and right. and it was kind of like that so seeing seeing them play and again i've seen them play in poland and in germany and in um the czech republic and i've seen them in uh wherever the hell brussels is you know <laughs> belgium <laughs> and seen, i've seen them in seen them in belgium and and just everywhere i've been if they play this song the crowd goes ape shit they go nuts over this song yeah. and i can see why and it's a fantastic song yeah. Uh, and it's just if, uh, you know, if if there was if this was a radio back when radio meant anything, I think this would be would be what huge. you'd be what you'd be hearing even, you know, 20 years later, you'd still be hearing Teenage Wrist Band. Yeah, uh, I think there's even a band that, that uh, is named Teenage Wrist or something that named themselves kind of after this song. Oh, really? You know, I saw the uh, I didn't uh, actually put the connection together, but I have seen that band. I don't know if they are kind of like maybe uh, on one of those websites that I'm on, you know, maybe the congregation or something like that on Facebook. I'm not sure exactly where I'd seen that. Yeah, that's probably where I think that's where I saw it now that you mention it. So that would make sense. So, yeah. Uh, hello. Yeah. Hello to the Congo. Yeah, there you uh, go. Congo. Uh, and I love the line of this one. Uh, time comes to get gone. Let's like, say stay, stay if you want to, you know, go if you want to leave. Then time, t- time comes to get gone, which is such a beautiful way to kiss off a relationship. I think. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you think about this one, Carl? What, what are your thoughts here? Oh man, again, um, beautifully written. Uh, that opening uh, uh, piano, as you said, uh, just kind of does kind of draw you in and, and uh, brings you in, and it's kind of. Uh, it's it's a brilliant setup, but it doesn't set me up for the rest of the song, especially like lyrically, because uh, but it's kind of bouncy. There's like that great. Uh, I think Apollonia may sing on this song. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. She she sings on two or three songs here. Oh really? Okay, all right. Because I remember seeing that somewhere, and I was like, wait a minute. You mean the Apollonia six and the chick from the Eddie Money video? That Apollonia is that the same girl? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, it just draws me in. It, it reminds me of such a great time, those early 2000s for me. Um, I was doing a lot of running around and staying up all night. And, uh, you know, driving somewhere for 16 hours probably to see a show. Somewhere. It, was, <laughs> it, was, yeah, it was just really kind of, a, kind of spoke to me in such a way that, uh, yeah, I relate because I've done that. I do know. 
Yeah. So there's this is one of those like I don't uh, even though I've I can't even count how many times I've listened to this song, I still don't fully know that I understand the story behind it, and I then that almost is what keeps coming keeps bringing me back because I just I, I I have an idea, but I don't know if I have the right one. But yeah, uh, yeah I just uh, it's. Uh, this should be the radio hit. Sorry, I need to move on before I get upset. So uh, that brings us on to under track four, St. Gregory. What do you think here, Ben? Uh, hey there, boy. So good to see you again. Great talking to you, man. We hardly get to do this anymore. You know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, St. Gregory, uh, again, it, there's a, probably a St. Gregory everywhere. You know, there's one in some town somewhere. The people that populate the song, the characters... I populate this song. Uh, I used to run into all the time when I was out drinking heavily. And St. Gregory reminds me so much of uh, just good times. Again, as sometimes uh, as sometimes those good times were, were kind of dark, I could look back on them now and say, damn, I made it through there. And St. Gregory uh, brings that out of me every time I hear it. I need to sit down and listen to it again. I, it's been a while since I listened to the whole record. Um, once I got into the vinyl thing, I pull it out all the time, but I'm listening to a side at a time, you know what I mean? Oh, I definitely know. Yeah. I haven't uh, uh, sit down really with it for a while, but uh, this this is a brilliant track. Once again, I may say that too often because of that's how I feel about their record. I'm going to stay away from that word, brilliant. See what we can do about that. Yeah. <laughs> See what we can do about that, no doubt. And lyrically, I heard your woman left you. I heard you quit your band. How's your money? Still feeding my Jones, yeah. yeah. That's uh it's uh, this this song I think is probably the only one that really could have fit on that first record. Mm -hmm. Uh just lyrically, because it's it's pretty dark. And that first record for for all its beauty is a dark record. Oh, it is. And and this one is is as well but i think it's more that you know this is where you have the twilight in between the day and the night on this record yeah. right. um and obviously it's it was written in response to you know one of his best friends dying a guy was what in his 40s playing basketball dies of a heart attack yeah i don't even think it was that old was it yeah he was he was pretty young so you know what late 30s to mid 40s somewhere in there i don't remember exactly but um, and so then you have this and of course, St. Gregory, you know, Greg Dooley, haha. Uh, but just the whole thing, but just, I love the, the syncopated drums that are going on and the way the toms, I don't know if they're actually, um, if they're electric toms or if they've just been mic'd really tightly, right? Because it's just, you got that floating feeling in the background and all of a sudden like this almost like, almost like bongos going on in the background. Yeah, but it's just, uh, and this is the first time we get some more like some some synth lines that I'm sure there are synth lines elsewhere, but this is the first time that I think they're really part of the the, the front part of the sound, let's say, as opposed to background sound, right? Uh, and just the way the way he sings it and the instrumentation that's going on, I thought it it would need a little bit of work, but this could could be that's the cl closest thing to the first record. Yeah, great call. And you know, you reminded me of something, man, with that syncopated drum. I remember and. Again, it's bringing me back to uh, being a kid in the 70s, but uh, like going to the mall and having that guy sit out there with a, with an organ and having like the, the pre-recorded, uh, you know, the pre-recorded beats, whatever they were called back then, <laughs> playing and then you'd start, you know, popping out, a, you know. Yeah, where you had the samba or the rumba. Right, <laughs> exactly. That's what I was thinking about that. And that's, and that, again, another thing that uh, is so great about this song. It reminds me, or the album in general, it just reminds me of some great uh, times, great sounds in my life, sitting down and, like you said, uh, putting on your headphones and listening to the radio when I was a kid and, you know, just sitting in the room there, like, you know, <laughs> just enjoying the sounds of Q105. And, and uh, man, this, and this record does kind of bring that back. There's an interesting line in this song, and I don't often talk about lyrics on this show, but uh, for this album, I'm going to talk way more about lyrics than I probably normally do. <laughs> right. But there's a line here where he says, you know, they love me down in Texas, my home away from home, which is, which is odd because, you know, he was, he was beaten nearly to death in Texas. Uh, after a show, he was attacked by, what, skinheads or something? They beat him with a pool, like cracked his skull open, and I think he, that he left music for a while 
Yeah. And so just that he includes that line and it's just a little like, I wonder what does he mean by that? And or or am I reading way too much into it? <laughs> right. Have we watched or read too much, uh, you know, rock magazines? But it makes <laughs> sense now that you like, you know, brought that up because, hey, they love me down in Texas so much they will kick my ass. Yeah, that's the, you know, the, the irony in that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's like because you know that those that first album had been recorded like initially years earlier, and I know it was reproduced um, and or done again with uh, Philip Brazilla and right, you know, so it was the the final form was not initially what it was initially um, recorded, but you know those those songs were were fairly old mm-hmm. uh, by the time it was really finally released to the public and with a few exceptions and so these and it was all new and again he scrapped an entire other project to put this one together and just that it came from all these different directions and somehow ended up with just a beautiful record yeah start to finish so moving on to track five the killer and one of the things i love the way this album moves just the transitions between songs are fantastic. This just we have you know we look at these four you know five different songs I think St. Gregory and the Killer both start kind of in the same tempo, even though the Killer uh, goes in a different direction. Uh, but just the just the flow, the way each song goes into the other song, which isn't always necessarily the case, but in this one, it's just... This song probably took me the longest to get into on the record, with maybe one other exception, but man, is it, got, it has some great lines. Uh, another great opener, yeah. like, I, I, I think we're lost, don't worry, I've been here before. Nice. <laughs> just so brilliant and it's just that's a hell of an opening line my favorite line on here is where he says and that's why i need you to catch on fire i want you to burn me till i feel it right and you know at this point when this album came out i was in and out of two different relationships of you know people that i really cared for and then it's something about but i'm just always had a difficult time with my own emotions Mm. and 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 hearing that line is like that's what i needed to tell somebody i think yeah <laughs> you know, it's like it's right. like i i don't know if i can get there by myself i need your help and i don't know how to ask for the help right. and just that um just that one line alone made this entire song worthwhile even when i initially didn't care for it but i mean i love the song now right definitely man this is a beautiful song again man. The opening piece and the what do you say about this? You know, I mean, because you you picked out like uh, just a powerful um, line in that song. It does definitely remind me what you were talking about. That definitely reminds me, maybe not a bad breakup, but maybe a bad breakup for me. Yeah, it, it's it's just perfect. The beauty of it coming together, it really rolls in. And and again, it's kind of like you know the irony in the title versus like. Uh, or maybe it's not, you know, maybe the killer is this uh, pain that you feel. I don't know. I think supposedly this is somehow about Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> oh, really? Well, it makes sense with the killer. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Because <laughs> I, I know, because obviously that was his nickname and, and he right. has said, you know, he's introduced it that way live that this is about Jerry Lee Lewis. I don't hear it. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I don't hear it either. But I don't know that enough about Jerry. Well, when I uh, ran into him and say, hey, man, Annie Mae, uh, you know, off the first record, you know, that's Tina Turner, right? And, you know, come on, that's her name. And he's like, nah. <laughs> okay, man. Yeah, thanks for shutting me down there. I asked him the same question just to just to double check. And it was in, <laughs> Wars- it was in Warsaw. And he's <laughs> going through the crowd. He's got a glass of wine. He's uh, signing autographs. People have kind of surrounded him. Uh-huh. And people are asking him, like, can I ask you a question? And he's like, yeah. And I said, is Annie Mae about Ike and Tina? He said, great fucking question. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping that he wouldn't, that he hadn't changed the answer. All right, that sounds good. <laughs> okay, so on to track six, Decatur Street. Carl, you're up, my friend. The Complicator. I want a little more. Reminds me of some decadent times in my life. Very decadent times, very decadent people <laughs> that will remain nameless until uh, the deposition that I have in court several weeks from now. That's how decadent this time was, and that's what uh, Decatur Street reminds me of. 
And again, you know, it's like one of those places where that it, it exists everywhere. There's a Decatur everywhere. There's a Decatur in Tampa. There's a Decatur in, in, um, in Atlanta that I've spent time on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know where this Decatur Street is in particular. If it's, you know, um, there's a Decatur in New Orleans. Yes, that's a great place. This is this is about New Orleans, yeah. Yeah. But second, third time I went to uh, New Orleans, hung out on Decatur, was able to score some pot, uh, and uh, find like this great, like, uh, I don't forget what the name of the bar was now. Um, but like, you know, the, the headliner was a jazz guy and went on at two in the morning. That was on Decatur. That's cool. I'm with it. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I'm with it. This is what I would love to hear this one in a dance club. You know, like yeah. proper speakers, sweaty dance floor, people moving. Uh, and again, if there was any justice in this world, this would be this would be like the club banger. You know, maybe a slight remix <laughs> to it. Right. God, this is so good. This is I love this fucking song. This is such a great song. Uh, and I love how a lot of the parts individually are fairly simple. Uh, yeah. Like even the piano part is just it seems like single notes descending. It's like not even chords. It's just like bing, 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 you know, just going down. And then there's like some really great but subtle bass work going on. And the guitar is just great. And it's just, oh, God, it's so good. It's just, it's, it swings this one. And yeah, yeah. uh, You know, I got just again, I would love to see. This is one I could actually see. It doesn't sound necessarily like them a lot, but I could see the Afghan wigs doing this song. And right. I probably, I probably have at this point, but uh, just <laughs> right, at the time, like exactly. so you could just see him like with a with a couple of tracks from uh, from Black Love and a couple of tracks from uh, 1965, and then this one, and just you know the you know you, your legs are going to be dead by the end because you're just not going to be off the floor. Right. Which was the last time I saw uh, the Afghan wigs. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It was just uh, it just like that. It was this song. Period. You know, that whole show was this song. It was just, just, a, <laughs> just amazing. You couldn't sit down. You couldn't stop. You just, uh, it was brilliant. Okay, so that brings us to the end of side one of Blackberry Bell from the Twilight Singers on I Fucking Love This Record with my guest, Carl Webb. And it's going to take a, just a moment here to chat. So, Carl, how you doing, man? It's, it's been a while. Yeah, it has been a long time. I think the last time I saw you was, what, a couple years ago over in Daytona? You and the family came over? Yeah, so about Christmas time, right? Yeah, it was right around Christmas time. So just about two years ago. Yeah, it was, man. And we gotta we gotta do that more often. I've been I've been threatening to go to Poland again. I got this court case coming up, you know, this uh, <laughs> whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's been great talking to you, man. And love you, love you and the family. And same here, we love you too. So we're uh, been looking forward to this one because I realized it was getting towards the end of the first season here on I Fucking Live This Record, and I hadn't done a Greg Dooley, sh- uh, Greg Dooley album yet, so I was supposed to do one, uh, was supposed to do the, the latest Afghan Wigs record with a buddy of mine here in Poland, but we, we ended up just not, have, we weren't running in the same direction for a long time, so we weren't able to right. make that happen, so we'll see. So I'm like, damn it, this is happening, because if there is not either Twilight Singers or an Afghan Wigs on my first season, I will have failed. And so here we are. <laughs> and we like uh, it, with this one, we had like a bunch of things that happened as well. Yeah, I think this is the fourth time we've tried. Yeah, this is like, yeah, we started this, I think, in February. It's now like, you know, the middle of November. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Story of my life. Then, you know, it's like, yeah, I'll start that. Yeah. OK, so we're going to go ahead and flip it on, flip the record on over. And uh, you, you have this on vinyl, don't you? Yeah, I do. This is is this the most expensive record you have right now? Do you think? You know, I hate looking at those things, but I did, and it is. It is yeah. because I bought this, and think about it. I bought it when it came out. I think it came out like six months, maybe a year after the the original CD. Yeah. So it was sitting on the back counter, and I'm like, "What?" And I bought this for like uh, fifteen bucks, I think. And now the last time I saw it online, it was going for three twenty five. I'm like, wait a minute, I got a duly autograph on that. Could I buy a house with this? What's going <laughs> yeah. on here? That's amazing. And I'm just I know because I I've seen it for sale. I've never seen it physically for sale. Like I'll look just to see eh, what it is online. And the other day I I, I was going to Prague that it was I want what did they have in Prague for a hundred and ninety euro. 
Uh, yeah, so a little out of my league, but I, I kind of <laughs> joke. I, I've, I've joked that if I ever buy this record, if I just break down and, and buy it, I know a week later they're going to reissue the <laughs> re-issue. entire back catalog. You know, <laughs> so. Uh, uh, but yeah, if anybody, because I remember you saying that you had it on vinyl, and then you were like that you were going to send it to me or you're going to get me one. Right. And then you right. looked it up and you're like, Oh no, bro, this is 250 bucks. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, right. I just had no idea. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like, like one week it's 15 bucks. The next week it's 250. I mean, they did press on this thing. Yeah. Not many. I love you, man. I love you, but <laughs> yeah. I don't have $250 to send you. I don't have it. Understood. I, I understand that completely. <laughs> So we're gonna we're gonna flip this bad boy over uh, metaphorically, we'll say, and taking on uh, track seven, Papillon, and again, just the the transition, the transition work here going, in, and I love how it just it starts with that acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. and then a banjo kicks in, yeah. and, which and then is really subtle, and it, it's like it, it's it's up in the mix at the very beginning, but it repeats throughout the song, but it's it's in the background, uh, and God, I love this song so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is one that just got its hooks in me, and I must have, I can't even tell you, I'd come and just play this song 10 times in a row, and then listen to the rest of the record, but I would go right to this song for a long time. Like, organ going on in the background, and there's just so much, and this is definitely just in a league of its own. This is, like, when you, when you talk about just hearing, like, all the great stuff from the, the 70s or 80s, mm-hmm. this song definitely falls in there, because it's yeah. just, it's just so well put together, and it's, just, but it doesn't feel like, you know, you would say some, oh, you know, like competent, like you're talking about air supply or some bullshit, you know, <laughs> right. it's just so great. And just because there's all these little elements, cool stuff with the guitar and how the bass plays on it. And I just, the, you know, infect me, protect me. She's, she's going to res. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. that just, it's just so back and forth. It's so dark and light. And it's, you mm-hmm. know, this, the infect, protect, resurrect is just, almost it's obscure and almost meaningless in, in how meaningful that it really is right uh you know i love god i just fucking love this song what about you carl oh man same here i love it uh i was really uh taken with oddly enough the banjo and how that kind of like uh builds into like the opening of the song you know mm-hmm. my my butterfly again thinking of those not maybe not particularly a song from that era but the elements of different songs from that era that are thrown together in this thing. Um, Papillon is just, uh, and the, the, the name of the song, you know, it was like, it was fucking like one of those movies that I kind of wanted to see when I was a kid and couldn't because it was rated R or something. But it, it opens up a lot of things for me too. And lyrically, I don't know how much of my life I've kind of molded around this record and even my memories of it, or, if I've actually kind of uh, felt the same way and he was able to express it great in a, in a rock song. Yeah, this is definitely a, definitely a highlight and one of my, one of my all time favorites. And, and this is a song that he tends to put other songs in. And I think it's just something about the way this song is constructed. Uh, Cause when he has that uh, infect me, protect me, and then a lot of times live, he would go into uh, I'm a joker, uh, a, sm- a smoker, a midnight toker. Right. Uh, so he right. do he do a little bit of that Steve Miller, right? So he do a little bit of Steve yeah. Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I remember one time seeing him do Adele's Rolling in the Deep to this song. So he sang the lyrics to that song to the tune of this song uh, and then kicked into it. And then something else, there was another one that I can't quite think of. But uh, for a while, he would use this to because to, he's, you know, they're pretty infamous for doing that. They're just throwing in snippets like not even doing full covers they may do that on occasion of course but uh, just mm-hmm. throwing in snippets of other songs inside of their songs and it's just very cool and this is one that got that treatment quite a bit yeah definitely he does that uh, throughout um, yeah throughout the show i remember uh, seeing him in new orleans well that was the uh, first year i think the afghan wigs got back together seeing new orleans and they uh ended with faded right into um purple rain oh <sighs> Yeah, yeah, that shit was just mind blowing. It really was so fun, so good. All right, track eight, follow you down. What do you think about this one? Mm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it now. Follow you down. Help me out. This is for me. We'll go ahead. This is the slightest song. This is the shortest one. It's only about two forty, 
And I think this is one that was reconstructed from a, a different song. Um, so I think there's a song called Take the Wheel on Amber Headlights. Oh, and yes. And it became Fire right. You Down. And this is the one, another one that I think that has, um, uh, not Vanity, but... Oh, Apollonia. Apollonia, sorry. It has Apollonia uh, doing the ooh in the background. This is I, this is my least favorite song on the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think it's a good song. Uh, and there's that line, like, I'm wide awake. Someone put a gun in my face. Go ahead, I said, erase. Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, it's just, this is probably one I would never go directly to. Uh, and this is never, I think almost every other song on the album has had a moment where that was my favorite song on the album. This is the only one that probably hasn't. Uh, this feels very much like a transitional song. Uh, this is more of a placeholder. Uh, right. It's a decent tune, but not one that I, I, I revisit unless I'm listening to the album all the way through. All the way through, right, exactly. Yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of feel the same way about this. It, it's uh, beautiful again um, and how it's constructed. But yeah, it's kind of one of those that I I have listened to that as much as, say, like... Uh, uh, Papillon or Decatur or Esta Noche. But if it's uh, if the CD's on, then damn it, I'm listening to it. Yeah, I'm not it <laughs> you know? Without a doubt. Yeah. So then on to track nine, Feathers. Man, I love how this one builds. This is another one he just builds because it starts with the real simple, just like a strum. Boom. You know, right. kind of right out, right out the gate. Uh, and then it's got some really just cool, like almost like funky guitar and bass. Even yeah. though this this doesn't sound like uh, Decatur Street or even what we're going to hear in a moment with Fat City, but it's still mm-hmm. it's tricky because it sounds like almost a traditional rock song. But if you're right. listening to like the way like it's got that scratchy guitar and it's got a real funky bass, and it's like I don't know why this doesn't sound like a funk song. It has all the elements elements to that. of it, right? Exactly, it's like deconstructed funk or something. Yeah. Exactly. And somehow it doesn't get put together that way, but it just it just builds and builds. And it even has like at one point, like I think like fake crowd noise going on in the background. Mm-hmm. And it's just, right. man, this is such a good tune. And just the way, you you know, it fall, you know, falls like feathers and you can just and the way the music goes, you can see the feathers kind of falling. It's just man, it's right. fucking it's great. Nobody bleeds the way I do. Man. Nobody yeah. bleeds the way I do. Yeah. And you uh, mentioned earlier, too, about the. Uh, the crawling aspect because when you said that i was like you know what yeah you're so right man because it's throughout this record it's throughout like the next record or the next uh twilight singers record yeah because i think he even says it in decatur street yeah or would you rather see me crawl you know right all yeah it's all through this record yeah right quite like you do and i'm gonna crawl no matter not that it matters nobody believes the way i do that's such a great line i wonder if um you know what i'm gonna give her a call later on yeah, now that I think about it, I'm going to give that to the call. Let us know how that goes, okay? You have to report well, back. It's going to end up the same way it ended up the first time. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> All right, track 10, Fat City, Slight Return. You're up, Carl. What you got? Mm, I must have been near unclear. When you uh, were talking about the deconstructed funk, I was automatically taken to this record or this uh, track mm-hmm. because uh, this is one of the this is the funkiest thing that's on the record I think in the traditional sense you definitely know, that kind of uh, Ohio players kind of Isley Brothers type of style making it do his own um, and then this the whole uh, premise behind it you know. Uh, that's why Kathy gets high. It's cinematic for me. Oh, it, yeah. It kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, some kind of a well-done 70s exploitation movie, you know, like the few that there were out there. That's what uh, that's what Fat City Slight Return uh, reminds me of. It's not quite the floor filler that Decatur Street is, but it's pretty goddamn close. Yeah. <laughs> and man, I love this song. I love this song so much. Uh, and it drove me a little crazy because I'm like, why? I felt like I had heard it somewhere before and it, I couldn't place it and it was driving me insane. And it turns out I had heard it somewhere before called it was, when it was just called Fat City and it was on DJ Muggs' album Dust. You're kidding me. No, 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 no. 
What? I didn't know it was on that. Yeah, yeah. So if you have a copy of Dust hanging around somewhere, this song is on it. And right. it drove me insane because I thought, man, did he rewrite something from the first album? And it's just, you know, I, I just couldn't place it. And right. then one day I was like, oh, duh. And because I, I bought that DJ Muggs album specifically because Greg Dooley contributed a track to it. And it was this. <laughs> and it's 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 different. But the skeleton is the same and the lyrics are mostly the same, but it's got a much bigger sound here, much bigger sound. And it's just the fucking swagger on this one. Yes. This is just, yes. you know, big ball swinging. And uh, yeah. it's so good. Uh, I, I just love that line, you know, why you watch a car wreck, motherfucker, because it looks fun to die. It's fun to die. Yes. <laughs> That's what I was talking about. It's, it's this, it just kind of brings back. Uh, that feeling of those uh, great records that came out of that region and and those bands that uh, you know he was probably listening to at the same time that uh, that I was and that we were, and then bringing it into the two thousands with the watch a car wreck motherfucker because it looks like yeah. that I got it because I I made a mixed disc for my wife and I tried to find kind of because she she likes to dance and so I tried to find like dancey rock songs that we could play in the car so that wouldn't drive me insane but that she could kind of bop to (laughs) and so this was one of the tracks I had put on that and the initial the original name of the of the mix was Car Wreck Motherfucker (laughs) did you have that on your mixtape while you were driving around yeah and that's what I thought that may be bad karma to have it called Car Wreck Motherfucker (laughs) right (laughs) <laughs> so I, I think I named it Get Lifted from a different line in the song. Right. There so, you yeah, go. Like, uh, yeah, the ship it listed, time to get lifted. But, man, the car wreck. Bow down and good. get your chests twisted. Yes. Yeah. God, so good. So good. Uh, man, why why is this not the most popular album in the world? God, it's so <laughs> I think I've told you this story, and I, I must have told you this story, but I remember... Um, Again, I used to play it constantly in the store uh, when it first mm-hmm. came out. And I remember uh, like one of those like uh, kind of, you know, just kind of a slow afternoon before the rush kind of thing. And uh, a couple of bartenders from um, Skipper's Smokehouse, popular bar here in Tampa, uh, came in. And I recognized them, didn't really know them, you know, didn't know their names or whatever. And I yeah. had this record on. And I kind of like was watching this guy and this girl. I kind of like walk around shopping, you know, ask them what they were looking for or whatever. And uh, it must have been like a good 10, 15 minutes into this. And maybe right around Bat City when the guy finally comes up and he's like, what the hell is this? I'm like, man, it's, it's, man I love Twilight Singers. It's like, man, I, I got to get this. And so then the next time I go to Skipper's, guess what's on the... Uh, I guess it's on the PA, <laughs> just banging. So I was like, this is going to be huge. I was part of this thing. It's going to, yeah, it didn't go anywhere. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, I, yeah, it should have been much bigger. Like so, like the Afghan wigs itself, you know, and, and anything else that he's done, actually, I think it should have been bigger, but maybe I'm biased. I don't know. What it comes down to is they're a slow burn band, and it's hard to be caught by them on the, the first, first l- the first listen. Now there are songs that do like uh, I played somebody forty dollars from Powder Burns, right. and he's like, I need to listen to that about another twenty seven times. Excuse me, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's there are songs, but I think anytime I've made a, a mix of of the Twilight Singers or the Afghan Wigs, I always make the person promise me they'll try to listen to it at least three times before they make <laughs> up their mind because right. I know that it you know it took me a, you know at least a year of or to get into two it. years of just every once in a while pulling out that hysterectomy and then finally mm-hmm. just the, the dominoes all fell and it was like, Oh right. Now I'm obsessed with this band. Right. And I've right. been, you know, I've been, I've been accused of stalking Greg Dooley by, by Christian. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I could hear you, man. I, I feel you on that. Cause this is so well done, man. I mean, such a, you know, he just seems, or I'm sure that he is, but he just seems like a, a, someone that has kind of lived the same things that uh, that you've lived to. Nothing that you inspire to, but <laughs> that's things that you've lived. Um, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I would stalk him too, man, if I had the chance. Hell yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, wait a minute. Been... Take that out of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll edit that part out. Sure. <laughs> okay. So let's go ahead and finish this bad boy up with track number 11, number nine, uh, featuring Mark Lanigan. Yes. Uh, and Mark Lanigan uh, is just, uh, he's so good. And mm-hmm. this is how you end a fucking album right here. This is like old school ending of an album. It's It starts out with just that creaky voice from Lanigan. It builds and then it goes, this is, this is on a, this is a Pink Floyd song. This is a, yeah. a Rolling Stone song. This is one of those yeah. just, there's, you got the, African-American women choir going on at the Mm -hmm. end and just like the wailing and just the, it's just, uh, it's so good. This is, this puts a bow on it. And I'm a, I'm a sucker for a slow ending. And (laughs) it's because, it's because of songs like this one. It's like, this is just, this is, it's like, listen and learn junior. This is how you fucking stop a record. My friend, this is how you do it. And Lanigan, Uh, I want to say this is the first thing that I heard him on with uh, Dewey before. It was definitely before Gutter Twins. Um, oh, yeah. And I just thought it was like such a great mix. You know, their uh, their voices aren't similar at all, but they blend well together, mm-hmm. um, which kind of, kind of uh, you know, gets into the whole Twilight Singer mythos, you know? Um, yeah. I can tell, you know, just the, the respect that they have for each other um, and the fact that there was the Gutter Twins record, I think, is is pretty cool because uh, I remember um, seeing an interview when the Twilight Singers were still an ongoing concern. And obviously, you know, they're different people play per, on every track kind of thing. It's it's rarely, right. I think, with one exception, it's rarely been just a set band. And somebody was like, well, what, you know, what what is the Twilight Singers? And he stole, I can't remember who he stole it from, maybe the guy from The Fall or the guy from the dam, he's like, he says, if it's me and your grandmother on bongos, it's the Twilight Singers. <laughs> That's the Twilight Singers. <laughs> Great. But obviously there's been times where Mark Lanigan has collaborate, collaborated with them as the Twilight Singers. Uh, mm-hmm. But the fact that I think they went and wrote together became the Gutter Twins, I thought was pretty cool. Right. Definitely. Great record. We should talk about that one one of these days, too. Yeah, that's uh, that'll be there. I think I saw them tour together i know i saw them in st pete because i was really surprised that lanigan was there and it was kind of typical lanigan where he like just would walk out sing his part and walk off stage and then you know <laughs> it was it was really kind of classic uh lanigan and i want to say that that was right around the time that there was an ep that came out oh, yeah that e- that ep is fucking great yeah it has a massive attack cover live with me on there which is a cover of a of another song i think Terry Callier, maybe. And that's, you know, this uh, this is where it starts for me. Number nine, Sweet Talking Fly on the Wall. So good. So good. And just, just the, the wailing vocals in the end. So, oh. and yeah, like you said, the, the, way the way their voices mix. and Because uh, I saw them, that's right, because we, we saw them on the very first day of the tour, uh, right. the opening of the North American tour. And then I think I caught, basically the the tail end of the the tour for this record i saw them in berlin and mark lanigan was ended up touring with them and i think the originally uh, somebody had said like uh, dave rosser the guitar player rest in peace brother mm-hmm. rest in peace man and uh said yeah the original plan was for mark to to sing uh was to was to be on stage for like maybe two shows and then he just never went home <laughs> <laughs> he just hung he just, around he, yeah he just hung around and so but he would come out and it's one of those just to show how what a powerhouse Dooley is on stage because let's say in a technical level Mark Lanigan has the better voice, mm. but when they're singing together, all eyes are on Greg Dooley. It yeah, without a yeah. doubt, all eyes are on. And I saw them, I, I saw them with him coming out just to sing a couple of songs. Uh, I saw them tour as the Gutter Twins. I saw them tour as an evening with Greg Dooley and Mark Lanigan. With only Dave Rosser playing guitar in between the two of them, so they were split. Yeah. You know, so I've seen him, and actually, it was uh, I saw that the night I got engaged. So we were no. in Berlin. I uh, I uh, proposed to Dimbrufka, and then we went and saw an evening with Greg Dooley and Mark Lanigan. Ah, oh, that's a fucking, great. Talk about a fucking day, my friend. That was a day. You, know? <laughs> you can't top was, that one, man. Uh, that's a good so, one. It was so good. Yeah, 
and uh, so being congratulated by Dave Rosser on getting engaged was a very cool thing, you know. So, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's yeah. You can't top that one. I guess you can, but yeah, that's a good one. It is a good one. All right, so that's going to bring us to our final thoughts. I know we've uh, been just peppering final thoughts throughout the the whole thing, but if uh, if you have any any last words that you would like to say about this, I would be happy to hear them. Again, the uh, lineup of the artists that are on this record, um, the way it's paced, um, the way it's kind of uh, is very uh, concise and and well put together and. Um, I remember um, reading the liner notes to a couple of songs or a couple of albums rather and uh, where they kind of started out filmed on location. This record is a filmed on location for me and somebody um, somebody needs to turn a somebody needs to figure out a movie to put around it. Yeah. Because it really would work. That would be so great. And I think I'll start on the script tonight. My final thing here is uh, I mentioned on an earlier program because somebody was a contributing writer to that. Uh, a few years ago, I, I contributed 10 short stories to a book called Cover Stories. And the idea was to choose an album and then take the song titles and those become your story titles. And this was the album that I chose. So I have uh, 10 songs uh, starting with track two. So my intro, uh, where I'm introducing myself in the book, I called Martin Eden so I could have all 11 track names. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. And, and, well, what the idea was because he was, uh, Greg Dooley was influenced by the, the, the book to write the album, and then I was influenced to write a book because of his album. Oh, and so the I album. That was, that, yeah, so it was like just a big wheel in the sky. Keeps on, right. keeps on burning. Keeps on girl. turning. <laughs> That's right. So uh, this, as I said, is probably my, my favorite record. If people ask me uh, what my favorite record is, not that a lot of people do anymore, but if they do, mm. this is my answer. So I mean, right. there may be other ones that, but man, this is just, this is so good and it is definitely my most listened to record of the last 15 years. That's, yeah. Uh, and I don't know if there's anything that's even close because I listen to the shit out of this record. I'm trying to think of the same thing. You know, <laughs> what have I listened to more or even equal to this record? I mean, there's a lot of things that obviously have come out since then that I loved. And I'm trying to think of how of what I've listened to this much and was so in and uh, empowered with because this kind of you know, this kind of brought my swagger back. I think this record and listening to it sharing the experience of it, you know? Uh, and it's one of those kind of things. The Afghan wigs and the Twilight Singers in general, when you meet up with somebody who knows them, it reminds me of, you know, being a kid and, like, talking about Elvis Costello or, you know, Prince or something like that before they blew up, you know what I mean? Or maybe before they became, like, mainstream in a way. Yeah, and that's what the Twilight Singers are to me. So I hear you, man. This is going to sound a little bit weird because I know the Afghan wigs never quite broke big like they were expected to. And as much as I, w- I would love for that ha- to have happened, I think the reason why we still, why we got the Twilight Singers putting out great records and why even now the Afghan wigs, the, those last two records have been great, it's because they're, they can't just go out and, and tour for an album uh, right. that, they put, that they put out 20 years ago. Uh, you know, so it's not like you're going to go, see, oh, okay, if I go see Bush, I want to hear 16 Stone in its entirety and then I want to fuck <laughs> off and go home. Right. Uh, you know, so they they still have to work at it a bit. But what I've loved, so I've seen them on the last, so I saw the reunion tour and then I've seen them tour for the last two albums. So I, I was there for uh, Due to the Beast tour and I was there for the um, uh, most recent tour. And what's been amazing is that both times about, 60 to 75 percent of the show has been new material and people are happy you know there's of course people shouting for specific you know in, in poland they love miles is dead uh, right they, they want to hear don't forget the alcohol like i was at a show in 20 whatever it was 2012 and people were moshing to miles <laughs> is dead like and i'm not joking like like not kind like legitimate mosh pits right <laughs> it was insane i gotta uh, see that Oh, it was craziness. Uh, anyway, uh, and so, you know, people, the fans are out there to, to hear the new material. Like, of course, you want to hear John the Baptist because it, it's uh. just, you know, the most mind-blowing right, song ever. But, uh, but you know, that, that that's not why people are there. They want to hear the new shit, and it's great. Right. 
Yeah, I remember um, the last uh, show a couple of years ago over in Orlando. I like the the it's the way they put together the show, and I wish I had the set list. But then when John the Baptist came on, it was like the top of the building blew off. That was, yeah, incendiary. I saw that in Prague, and and that was it was after Dave's. Uh, I don't think Dave had passed yet, but he didn't get to tour. Right, and and I really missed his guitar, uh, especially on the new tracks. Mm-hmm. And even though the, the guy that they had playing, whose name, I, he's been with them for a while and his name just leaped out of my head, but it'll come to me once we're done. But, uh, he, <laughs> right. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I missed his guitar, but on, on John the Baptist, it, it was before he was in the band, obviously. And God, it was so good. It was so good. It was the best thing. Yeah. Just thinking about that night, uh, and that song and like I was saying, you know, I use the analogy of like the roof was blown off, but, um, like the biggest hurricane to hit Florida in like a hundred years was like twenty four hours outside of the outside of the state. So it was a uh, man. It, it was just such a fun snow, and it, and it was a great way to go out if it, we were going to go out. That's the best way to take us out here. So uh, to my listeners out there, if you have, uh, I've never asked you to do this before, but if you have the time, why don't you maybe rate and review wherever it is that you listen to your podcast? If you're on uh, iTunes or if you're on Spotify. That maybe help some new people check out the show. That would be great. If you want to share the links, let people know about it, I'd appreciate it. Carl Webb, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to uh, come talk to me about this great, great, great fucking record. I love this record. I love this fucking record. And thanks so much for having me on, man. And, I, you know, hopefully we can get together and uh, do it again soon. I like the sound of that. Yeah, all right, bro. All right, man. Love you, brother. Love you. Take care. Thank you for listening to I Fucking Love This Record, now available on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please subscribe, share, and comment. For this and other podcasts, please check out www.lovethisrecord.com, where you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. If you would like to co-host an episode, write to me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. Instagram and Twitter, we are lovethisrecord1. Facebook and Pinterest, we are Love This Record. Music at the top and bottom by The Ashes of Grissom. Special thanks to original patron Mark Evers for getting this podcast back on track. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.